co-host, Crystal. And I am your other co-host, Robert. And this is Reenacted, an Unsolved Mysteries podcast. And a podcast that is becoming increasingly Catholic as our episodes <laughs> accumulate. Yes. Uns- Unsolved Mysteries is a Catholic program, and that's fine. Yeah. yeah. But that's what it is. And <laughs> we have discussed many miracles and saints in the course of uh, discussing now seven and a half seasons of the show Unsolved Mysteries. So last recording before last, we were talking about Padre Pio. We were. It, it was which quite a coincidence. Also, yeah. Also, interestingly, there is a movie that was released this year called Padre Pio about Padre Pio. I, I sp- starring starring Shia LaBeouf. Which we didn't know about at the time we were t- discussing. I don't no, think. no, I, I saw. Yeah, exactly. I'd, I'd never heard of it, but I saw it when I was searching for Stigmata on uh, streaming. Yes. And yeah, that's like the thing that came up. Right. Was Padre Pio. Right. We, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the the uh, the algorithm. I guess I you know it's, it's interesting. The algorithm. Um, I mean, obviously, the Stigmata is part of the pl- a plot of would be part of the plot of that film, and so. It causes that film to show up before the movie that's called Stigmata. So, yes, yes. Uh, Crystal, since this is Halloween and yes. we're doing this, uh, this as... Uh, yeah, it's our spooky, spooky Halloween episode where we go off format and we just talk about a, a horror movie that we would rather probably be talking about most of the time anyway. <laughs> um. <laughs> God. So so we're on we're on this is our fourth year of talking about a film. Our first year uh, we discussed Ravenous. Yes, correct. Yum yum. Um, the year after th- that, what was it? That was uh, oh that was that was eating Ra- Raul right. That was eating Raul. Chef's kiss. Last yes, <laughs> pun intended. Uh, last year we discussed It Follows. Mm, we did indeed, because I couldn't, I, I couldn't, I didn't have a street, I, I, that was, that was due to a bit of a flub, because we were trying to keep up a cannibalism run, and you had- Right, we were, and we were going, to, we, I just, I had pitched to you we were going to watch the movie Fresh, Yeah. but the only place that that was, like, available at the time was on Hulu. And at the time, I was... <laughs> thought you didn't have access. Yes. As it turned out, I had okay. access all the, all the time. It was uh, sort of a sixth okay. sense level of twist. Um, yeah. I, like, many, and many I- months, months later, uh, my roommate says, mentions Hulu and like I discovered it like what and I it's exact same reaction as Bruce Willis when he finds out he's dead so um but that's okay we talked about a movie I think we we both enjoyed a lot more oh, yeah, there, there's a- or you I'm sure you enjoy a lot more than you would have enjoyed the movie fresh okay yeah I, so and, we, we talked about it follows yeah. and now we we are uh because we are going into um territory that nicely dovetails into <laughs> into the increasing increasing frequency of catholic uh miracles that are appearing in unsolved mysteries mm-hmm. so 
Mm-hmm. Now, uh, this uh, this film, I mean, obviously, you mentioned you have a copy that uh, DVD copy that was what originally in a blockbuster. Um, no, it was originally at like a, a video store I, I worked at in high school okay. and I stole it. Yes, yes. So I'm. Yeah, uh, this is cl- like clearly, I think the the first first thing we should be talking about is your history with the film because my i mean i i definitely remember the because i had not seen it before watch sitting down to watch it for this pod okay so your first time first time and it's probably the first time i've watched it in two decades yeah yeah uh i recall yeah. i personally recall I, I recall seeing the trailers you, you can you can find the trailer on youtube the trailer is very 90s and well i mean yeah which is we'll get into it but so is the entire film film. yeah and Uh it 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 ends it's sort of wham moment in the trailer is like the priest asks the the girl something and she's like clearly possessed or something and she speaks with an older man's voice and it's clearly meant to like like set up like oh this is going to be a scary moment and i i have some more to talk about that scene but we'll do it later uh and that's i mean that was my recollection of the film was seeing the trailer i also without getting into deep personal territory that would take us too far afield i also knew someone who was interested in seeing the film because the music was put together by billy corgan <laughs> Mm-hmm. So this is um, his main post pumpkins project, I guess. Yeah, and we and we'll get into that as well. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, but for now, I want to hear all about your history and your you know feelings about this film. Um. Okay. Well, I was working in a video store during i want to say started working there in 1999 through the year 2000 maybe i was working there 2000 to 2001 um but that 1999 this this is the second horror movie from 1999 we've talked about on this podcast so 1999 was just a huge year for film Mm -hmm. for american cinema it's just so many of these titles it was just like hit after hit after hit after hit. Yes. Um, coming out in 1999. So I will. I was just reading the IMDb for the director Rupert Wainwright, and this was a blockbuster hit. So Stigmata made over a hundred million dollars worldwide. Off like a twenty nine million a, dollar budget. Yeah. yeah. This was a enormously successful movie in 1999, um, and I think. It was kind of, you know, there had been, it, 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 the movie's called Stigmata, but it's ostensibly a movie about possession. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there had been a lot of possession movies before this and, and since, but um, when I was talking about it with my husband who, who watched it with me, because he hadn't seen it in a really long time, um, he said that, you know, this was kind of billed as like the cool possession movie. Oh. Like it was co- very cool, yeah. You know, you got a cool, you got some cool hairdressers. You got a cool city. You got a cool priest. Mm-hmm. Um, 
he's very cool in this and the priest is played by uh gabriel barn but the first time i saw this movie it was actually it was it was the night after a sleepover and my friends and i were um i think we had the vhs <laughs> so that's we're right on the cusp i mean i own the dvd um but the first time i saw it was on vhs and i remember thinking you know but patricia arquette in this movie she's the lead um she was just the coolest she is the coolest actually still hold on i'm not like gonna say that she isn't still the coolest and i think because of this movie i still get really excited when she shows oh, up and okay. anything um so yeah was most recently you know seeing her in um severance was she's great in that um she's i think does a really great job of playing sort of what may come across initially as sort of this pretty blonde bimbo type but really has um some unsettling things going on beneath the surface you know i think she she's really good at that and so of course she was in the show medium too which i never watched just because that i don't know <laughs> not that, that subject matter was not appealing to me but um yeah so that's the history with it with it and then i've seen it many times since and then i hadn't seen it in 20 years and so i remember it being a very cool movie um and so going back into it it was pretty much as i remembered you know okay. i don't think i came away with this with a different opinion but it has been two decades a lot of things have changed um how i assess a film has definitely changed okay yeah and sort of and we can get into it but i sort of think like this movie um either suffered from having a, being edited to death mm. like i think i think the original form of this movie was probably longer and made more <laughs> sense because there's a lot of plot lines or little threads that start getting spun out that never get resolved by the end of the movie and it's like well what happened to the friend like we have one final scene with the friend and then she's just out of the movie like never to be seen again neil long's character yeah um yeah there's a there's a lot so of I, no you're absolutely right there's a lot of uh, stuff where it's like why did they mention this or what was the point yeah 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 so so we'll get into the actual plot of the film and if anybody hasn't seen it um we're gonna spoil it you've had 24 years <laughs> like figure it out the enraged figure it out. watch the movie the enraged reviews we're gonna get on itunes <laughs> these mo mofos spoiled the entire plot with the movie stigmata for me i will never <laughs> forgive them those assholes five stars <laughs> go ahead and write that review as long as you leave the five stars so real briefly like the imdb synopsis of the movie is when a young woman becomes afflicted by stigmata a priest is sent to investigate her case which may have severe ramifications for his faith and for the catholic church itself okay so that's that's the overview um robbie what's your what's your kind of like two minute you know first time seeing the film well, okay, yeah, my the, the sort of imp uh, impression I walked away with after watching it, um, I suppose, because the trailers and certainly the advertising would have you believe, and I, I certainly, I I imagine, you know, mo in most video store, I, it, perhaps in the video store you worked in, this was uh, put in the horror section 
uh, of the mm-hmm. yeah, uh, which I get because uh, it's you know supernatural and you know, whatever. But really, after I was completed, after I after I finished watching the film, I didn't feel like I didn't feel like I had watched a horror film, right? Uh, there was mm-hmm. the, there there really wasn't any moment where I felt tense like oh no the the the, the mm-hmm. evil is, is thing is going because even the moment that, in the trailers that they they use as the wham moment of like where she's possessed and there's an old man's voice and you're like oh man that must be a when you watch the scene her her, her possessed by I guess presumably by the 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 priest the old older priest who had the uh, the, the, who died at the beginning of the film. Like, what she then proceeds to do, in a very old man-like way, she shuffles across the room past Gabriel Burns and mm-hmm. lies down in mm-hmm. bed for a little nap. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so, but what, what, when, when I was finished watching the film... Uh, I I felt really like the strongest um, sense uh, I got out of it. it was like this was this this was a drama and, you know this woman's going through some going through some shit and like uh, thank God she she had this priest uh, as her um, uh, he, he enters into the picture as kind of a uh, you know this this bulwark of support and mm-hmm. uh you know it, it has this um you know the sort of subplot about the these uh scrolls or something that are supposed to be closer that like the most closest thing we have to like a first-hand uh, count by uh, jesus and then the film ends with like those that like text on the black back uh, on the background uh, where it's like in 1945, the, these scrolls were unearthed. Da, 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 da. The, the Catholic Church disavows their authenticity, and like, because you mentioned so much that was hacked off or cut off uh, from this film and strands, and I was just like, well, well, okay, this is so just a weird add-on. Like, I felt <laughs> like the the I felt the film was fine enough you could have just left it with its ending but you didn't have to then like shoehorn this thing in but yeah no i for me it was really interesting like like it was i was i was engaged not so much because of the supernatural experiences this woman was having but it was the all the scenes with uh arquette and burn i was like really interested in seeing them interact and that that was what that 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 was actually a really uh, had a, like a really strong human connection uh, that that I was mm-hmm. following, and that that's what that's what I found engaging about the film. Uh, that and John, John, yeah, Jonathan Price dropping in. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well. Yeah, this is not a scary movie. No, which is fine. Uh, uh, and it's yeah. okay. Yeah, and calling it horror seems weird but i'm even looking at the poster and the tagline it says the messenger must be silenced and then there's like patricia arquette's eyes and they're all like red yeah but that actually never happens in the movie no no um (laughs) yeah 
Yeah, the the, the trail, uh, as I said, the trailer and the, the advertising, they, they make it to be like a horror film. Like, oh, you're going to get a scary time uh, coming in here. And um, whereas, no, it, it's more like um, you get a film that's like, it's one part, will they or won't they, between Arquette and Byrne. And another part is basically mm-hmm. like a sort of a, a proto version of the Da Vinci Code or something. So. Yeah, it has a lot of. I've never seen the Da Vinci Code, but that's also what Dave was saying. It's like this is like early Da Vinci Code. Yeah, yeah, kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, this predates the the Dan Brown book, I believe. But um, okay, well, I don't. I guess we just get into it because it's uh, the the movie keeps a pretty quick pace. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Um, because it was there were definitely some deleted scenes here. <laughs> I think and. <laughs> Um, so the sort of, uh, cold open is we're in a village called Bella Quinto in Brazil and, um, it opens with, uh, Gabriel Byrne in his priest outfit Mm -hmm. going and doing some investigations in a Catholic church there, uh, with a, statue of the virgin mary that's crying blood and it is crying blood and then there's like an open casket of this uh monk i don't think he was a priest he he was was he father yeah he was father yeah he was a priest at that church who had passed away and so the um He's considered a very holy man. So you have a lot of people in the church sort of paying their respects while Gabriel Byrne is doing his pictures and his recordings. And he takes like a swab of the blood of the tears and puts it in a vial. And um, he's sort of like, as we learned, this investigator from the Vatican. Yeah, which is, I mean, people who who've watched, who've listened to our podcast, not watched, listened to our podcasts <laughs> long enough. Well, we've heard enough about segments from unsolved mysteries where they talk about when mirac- yeah. miraculous stuff, stuff is happening and they want to make sure that they're not rushing into, um, uh, affirming that every like, burnt stain on a piece of a toast is a is a depiction of the authentic right. de- miracle of the virgin mary <clears throat> and mm-hmm. uh and that's you know that that's the sort of role that uh burns's character plays in this film um yeah mm-hmm. i want to call him father gabriel but that's <laughs> 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 um what is his what is his name in the uh he's father andrew kiernan okay in this yeah i do also want to call him father gabriel but that is <laughs> he can be like daddy gabriel i guess but he's father andrew kiernan in this um in this movie so he's taking pictures and stuff and he's like all right well we're gonna create this uh, statue up and take it back to italy thanks and then everyone is aghast and yeah. the the uh the the newer priest of the church is like you're absolutely not going to do that mm-hmm. so by and and father andrew's like oh that's fine you know what that's probably not the right move here you guys seem to be having a moment and i don't you know he's just kind of backs off from that whole thing but he takes his little blood vial and his pictures and he uh he takes off in the meantime while all of that is happening a little uh beggar boy comes in and rips the uh rosary from 
Is that what that is? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. He rips the rosary from the uh, the dead priest's hands that's laying in the open coffin, and he runs out into the streets of Bella Quinto, and uh, we see a blonde American woman, not Patricia Arquette at this mm-hmm. point, but just some, uh, uh, we, we don't know who she is. Uh, she she negotiates with the little boy, and in Portuguese, there's an older uh, vendor there saying, don't, to the boy, like, you mustn't steal from the dad. Like, what are you doing? And he's trying to tell the woman in Portuguese not to buy that thing. And she doesn't know what's going on. So she just buys it. She's like, oh, this is cool. I'm going to spy it. It's fine. I, I like the uh, the guy who's running the stall full of, you know, uh, just sort of boilerplate crosses and, and stuff. It's like, kid, you you shouldn't be stealing from the dead like that. As if, and you know, and doing... As if he knew where it came from. <laughs> right. Immediately. Right. Yeah. And, and, and channeling uh, uh, and also doing a good job of acting like that's what he's enraged by, not that this kid has cost him a sale. <laughs> right. Right. So is it at this point we go into the like the super hyper credits or does Gabriel Byrne's character go back to the Vatican first? I can't oh, remember. Um, I well, let's see here because the did uh, did we see his character before uh, Arquette in any way? Because I, I feel like it, surely this this had to be where the credits dropped because it'd be it'd be really late in the film if once the whole Vatican scene was was completed uh, for those credits to drop. And those when you say hyper credits, like, yeah, so it's it's so it's a lot of expo- exposition really fast. So we go from this this village, Bella Quinto, um, Brazil to modern day America and a young woman, Patricia Arquette. And we kind of get like rapid fire introduced to like her lifestyle, you know, and she's got, I mean this and the music that's playing is just like, I don't even know how to describe it. I, I, I'll, the, you'll never guess who the group is that did the song. Well, I'm not super. I'm not super um, in tune with the music scene, so I, it's entirely possible. I didn't. I didn't know until the credits rolled, and I was like, "You got to be kidding me!" Um, so it's this really like hard pounding track, and we're seeing, you know, Patricia Arquette's character. Her name is um, Frankie. She is. She's a hairdresser, and then she gets off her shift from from work and and then she goes to the club with her best friend who's neil long's character and then they're like talking to this guy and it's like the club is like very industrial there's like a chain link fence they're doing shots um and then the guy is like hey frankie you know i gotta i gotta go to work in the morning and she's like oh you too tired to go home with me and then they go home and they do it and then like so she's like having this really fast paced lifestyle being a young woman in america and her hair is crazy and um so we get all of that like and that's kind of interspersed with what looks like the credit titles are like from going from this foreign language and then morphing into like english romanized letters yes um so that's like that's like a cue as to what's gonna happen yeah yeah a hat tip to uh to to the one of the uh 
thought reveals. I the this whole sequence, the credit this credit sequence. Hmm. I mean, when when you watch it, this would not be out of place as just the standard opening credit sequence to a hour long uh, direct to syndication television program in the nineties that aired late at night on Saturday in between Xena warrior princess. And then I don't know, like a televised version of the crow or Tarzan or mm. something that you, <laughs> that, that you'd be seeing at like 11 PM on, on Fox. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it. Yeah. I mean, it, it's actually kind of like, See, watching it, it was like, I mean, it was really interesting to watch because I don't feel like opening title sequences are, you know, they're they're not like this anymore. It's just, you know, names. No, they they cover a lot of ground really fast. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and you make a good point. This this title sequence serves as exposition. Like you say, we pretty much get a, a the idea of what Frankie's life is like just from this. So very creative. Mm-hmm. I, um, uh, I, I, I like this title sequence as, you know, it, it was a means of telling a, a part of the means of telling a story and not just like, well, we got, uh, we have to put the names of, you know, so-and-so big stars on. So we'll just, have them, you know, the names are just appearing at the bottom of the screen while the movie's just playing. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. And then uh, it, w- it was, it was it after this title sequence that we did we still see some stuff from Frankie's life, and then we jumped to the Vatican. Or, um, yeah, I I really feel like the Vatican portion probably happens before the Frankie, like. <laughs> She gets a package from her mom and it's, you know, and her mom's telling her, telling her about it while they're on the phone because she gets a phone call, um, you know, that wakes her up and, and it's on a very, um, a a phone that, uh, first of all, it's not uh, for Gen Z people listening. This isn't a a cell phone. This is a, a landline phone by her bed. Yeah. That she has she yeah. has decorated and and customized and uh to and made yeah. and you know I I mean it's not what I would want a phone in my house to look like but obviously it right. it suits her and that that's great uh, but like I think I think it bears discussing like the entire situation and set piece of her apartment you mean the warehouse warehouse she (laughs) apparently lives in yeah she's it's kind of like that but when we get an exterior shot it's clearly not a warehouse but it's like uh, the it was look this was guys this was huge in the late 90s and early 2000s the coolest place if you were like a teen and you were like imagining your life as like a cool adult in the city the coolest place you could live is in like a converted industrial loft yeah, yeah. And I be- I believe that's what we're because there's another shot of her bathroom later and there's like she's got her bathtub and the, the bathtub is also a very critical set piece, mm-hmm. I believe, in this movie, but you can see her bathroom and you can see that there's like a couple of urinals along the wall. <laughs> you know, so it's like very clear that this place she lives in was not originally intended to be a residence. It's this converted loft 
um, which has a very leaky roof. Yeah, yeah. By the way, I, I was concerned by the amount of leakage ar- happening. Yeah, yeah. Probably has a huge mold problem. Just the amount of water coming in to this loft at all times is like seems like either she is living there because she's squatting. Mm-hmm. Doesn't there also because the amount of candles we're led to believe maybe there isn't electricity here. Not sure, but. <laughs> Like, there's a lot of candles. There's a lot of inflatable furniture. There is a lot of, like, wacky shit, like her phone. And then her bed is actually pretty cool because there's this art deco relief of, like, a train as sort of her headboard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's actually pretty cool, I thought. I mean, she's clearly Um, artistic and, and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, she's... Well, yeah, but it's very much this, like, 90s aesthetic of putting a bunch of, like random shit in your loft apartment like i mean friends was like kind of the epitome of that when you think about oh loft although their place was really just an apartment it was a pita terre in new york but um gosh what's another like my two dads comes to mind of like wacky loft converted apartment Mm. um another one that i think is is really like this concept done really poorly um the apartment that nancy's uh so there's a movie called so i married an axe murderer yes oh yes the (laughs) the loft that the girlfriend lives in um is kind of like a really shitty version of frankie's loft just uh what's another loft there's the loft that cassandra lives in wayne's world okay um so she's got like she's got the sarcophagus in there and like the all the you know the parties are happening she's a big open space with like a mattress and like you know scarves draped around like it's just loft full of wacky shit is like such an aesthetic from the 90s yeah no totally and (laughs) i i think like pretty much all, all the films you mentioned, like if you collectively watch them, you, you'll get an idea of a lot of the aesthetics of the 90s. Um, I've, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Um, I mean, I can't immediately. But I mean, have you ever lived in a loft? I haven't. I know, I've known people that have lived in a converted loft, actually. But um, as an adult now, I, that's like the last place I would want to live. <laughs> yes, I... I <laughs> I concur. I I, li- I like having. Uh, I like I like to be in a ro- uh, home that has rooms. And, yeah. And so, <laughs> I don't want to be in a giant open space. That's kind of just. Mm-hmm. Um, that that would. I like trying trying to keep that heated or cooled. Forget about it because it was not insulated or intended to be a residence in the first place. Mm-hmm. And then. Also, leaky roof situation, clearly. Also, the windows are going to suck. Also, there's no room, so it's going to be echoey as shit in there. Like, you're going to hear everything that is going on yeah. in another part of the loft. There's, like, zero privacy. So, it's I guess it's great if you live alone, like Frankie does, yeah. but I don't know. But I'm led to, it. Kind yeah, it kind of looks like, a, it, like the building was converted, because it seems like other people live there, and you have to, like, be buzzed in at the front door to get but you know into the building Mm -hmm. so it's definitely operating as an apartment building now but the vibe is very like industrial conversion yeah 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 it's i 
that that her her bath her bathtub um I mean and, and and I guess this would really be the only uh this would be the the way that you're going to get like something bigger than just like a few cramped rooms in a, a major city um right in the heart of downtown uh but yeah it's certainly like when you when you watch the scene the bathtub scene it, it's it's uh like her bathtub's just like as you say it's just in the middle of the room <laughs> it's like yeah uh, it's very theatrical yeah. yeah um so yeah so we uh she gets this package from her mom so she has to go switch from one one wacky landline to another in the kitchen area and then um she opens the package and there's a couple of things i guess and, and the exposition from her mom is that she had been visiting Rio, but she made a little stop in this village called Bella Quinto and is very charming. She sent Frankie, quote unquote, a necklace and Frankie picks it up and she kind of looks at it like, huh, OK, whatever, and then drops it. But, you know, she's having a very nice conversation with her mom. She's just like, oh, I, you know, it sounds like you're having a blast. I'm so glad you went. When does your cruise start? Oh, OK, you'll be gone for a month. So, like, at this point, this is letting you know. The mom's not gonna, There's not no, gonna appear in the movie. Mom's not gonna be involved anymore. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're just one shy of like the, the the mom just literally getting on the bus out of town. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, now it was interesting. Like, uh, do you think? Do you think there could have been? I, I guess. I guess this is one circumstance where there was not deleted scenes of, of involving the mom because they they clearly lampshade mm-hmm. right here. She's not going to be around for mm. the duration of this film. And, yeah. um, but also I thought you, you, you make a point that like Frankie, she sees, you know, she sees the rosary and she's like, ah, well, whatever. And puts it down. Yeah. Cause she's having this nice conversation with her mom. So she's, she's not going to let, let there. I mean, do you think uh, her mom was just like, oh, this is neat. I'll send it to my daughter as a gift. Or is there some sort of hidden thing where, like, maybe her mom is, like, subtly trying to get her daughter to be religious? Uh, not not a heavy-handed, but because they... I don't know. Yeah. I don't know, because her mom describing it... Does her mom describe it as a rosary mm-hmm. or crucifix, or she just say it's a well, necklace? Yeah, well, that's the thing. I think Frankie's like, "Oh, this the ah, this necklace that you sent," and and then uh, mm-hmm. her mom has to explain it's a rosary because Frankie's an atheist, mm-hmm. and clearly, like, I mean, that's the thing though. Like, Frankie is so, um, you know, she's so ignorant of like religious stuff, like you know, not knowing that this is a rosary. That you would get the impression mm-hmm. that her she probably grew up in a household that was kind of just a normal like a a secular household, and so she just didn't right. have exposure to this. So I guess that would be a a point to suggest that her mom wasn't trying to make her religious. Um, um, because uh, why didn't she? Try, why didn't she do it the first? <laughs> time around it's like well i'll wait till my daughter's 30 and <laughs> before uh, applying this um uh i yeah maybe it was just like the the suggest i think maybe the suggestion suggestion weighs far more to that her mother is herself like oh i mean she's not necessarily non-religious but she's kind of like 
not super devout or anything to the point where she knows what a rosary is. She's bought this rosary from a young boy, but like to her, it's, you know, it's like, Oh, well, this is nice looking. I'll give it to my daughter. Uh, She would, uh, she would do the same if it was a vase or um, just some, some other random thing she picked up in the village in Brazil. And it was like, I got you something from my international travel because I know you like having weird eclectic stuff. So, yeah, I'm realizing right now I teased who did the theme music and then I never said <laughs> I, who did it. I thought, I thought you were setting it up for a big moment like right now. Uh, who? Yeah. No, guys, uh, it was Chumba Wumba. No! I mean, Opening. and I, I don't follow music that closely, and even I realize that's kind uh-huh. of, um, that is surprising. Yeah. yeah. They had more than just one song. Did you know that? <laughs> they had this one. Um, it was called Mary Mary was Mary the, Mary. the song okay. to the opening credits here. Um, at some point, either between where Frankie goes into work and before the opening credits, uh, Gabriel Byrne, and I don't remember obviously which order this happened to in, he goes back to the Vatican mm-hmm. because I know that this part happens before all, before Frankie's story really takes yeah. off. He's back at the Vatican. And he, his boss, I guess, is Jonathan Price, who's a cardinal mm-hmm. or something. Um, now, at this point in my life, Jonathan Price was only known to me as the guy from the Infinity Car commercials. <laughs> okay. And Connor, I, bonus points if you can drop some audio from a Jonathan Price Infinity Car commercial right here. That would be fantastic. This is the Infinity Q45. I was lucky enough to have a Q get jealous about sharing it. But if you have to. Just push this button and the steering wheel, driver's seat, and outside mirrors return to your pre-programmed positions. There's even a second button for another driver. After all, true luxury is a very personal thing. Um, and then Jonathan Price's uh, little helper is the guy who played uh, uh, the fo- Elliot, the from photographer just shoot from me. Just Shoot Me. Yeah. So that was... Yeah, that was my context. So the Infinity guy and the photographer <laughs> from Just Shoot Me are at the Vatican. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Gabriel Byrne shows up and they're kind of like asking uh, uh, for his report back from Bella Quinto. And he's just like, they're like, well, you got the statue, right? And he's like, no, nah, I wasn't going to take that. But I'd like to go back because I, there's obviously some very interesting evidence going on here. And they also asked him about some a pattern on a wall where someone had seen the Virgin Mary and Gabriel Byrne was like, well, no, that was just like some rust. Right. From water. It's not a real thing. But this, this statue in Bella Quinto, like that was human blood coming out of the eyes. And it didn't seem to be a parlor trick. Anyone was playing. I'd like to go back and investigate this. And they were like, well, if you didn't get the statue the first time and, and, you know, and he's like, well, yeah, it meant a lot to the people there. I just didn't think it was right to take it. And they're like, well, you're off the case, detective. We're going to send a geologist and he's going to get it for us. Case closed. You're not going back to Brazil. That's literally how and, the scene uh, plays. It plays like, uh, you know, yeah. we're taking you off the case. Uh, so uh, yeah. and it's it's weird because, like, if you watched the scene, 
Like, if you showed it to an alien, right? And the mm-hmm. alien really didn't have a context for much of Earth civilization, so it didn't, didn't know the alien doesn't know what the Catholic Church is. Okay, right. Uh, doesn't you know? Uh, if you just showed them this scene, the alien would be like, "Oh, okay. Well, this is obviously some sort of organization that's dedicated to debunking the supernatural." Because um, it very yeah. much plays like see, it seems to play like. Because uh, because Gabriel Burns's character is someone who was he was what a cellular microbiologist before he became became a, a, a priest. Yeah, we f- we find that yeah. out later. Yeah, he was um, it, what, no, it wasn't microbiologist. I think he was an organic chemist. God, you're right. You're, that it? I think yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> why did I? <laughs> okay. Why did I throw up? But <laughs> a slight a slight difference yeah. a slight difference for microbiologists, but yeah, yeah. and. But his character is interesting because uh, what, what they'll re- what they'll sort of discuss later is that he sort of he rationalized himself in uh, uh, through through you know his logical arguments to himself into believing in God, mm-hmm. and that's why he became mm-hmm. a priest. Uh, and but I, I don't know. I think this is where maybe the deleted scenes and stuff may come in because I felt like the movie was kind mm. of it kind of veered a couple of ways because it kind of on the one hand you would think that it seems like maybe there the, he would seem to fit the type where you're like oh well the priest character is going to be a priest character who doesn't really believe anymore and or, mm-hmm. or or whatnot and you know the this the events of the film are what's going to spark that and but then at the same time it really feels more like no no he literally believes that like the super supernatural phenomenon happens like he's like yeah this this statue was bleeding human blood uh like he believes that's possible and it kind of like his scenes with Jonathan Price like play like as if Price is like you know the the skeptical uh, person and, and and you know like he's the Price is the Scully and Burns is the the Molder and and Price is like come on this can't this this is crazy mm-hmm. talk you're talking about here and you know what we you know the reason we've tolerated your outlandish you know like propensity to to believe in the supernatural is because you're such a great scientist and and you know we need to get some geologists and some you know some other uh people with hard scientific backgrounds in here to debunk debunk this stuff and i mean yeah I, i get that like part of their 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 mo is to like sift out um nonsense from what could be genuine miracles but it just it really play mm. <laughs> it really just kind of plays like you know like it, it, it's very int- it's just the way it's structured is is very odd and i think like like i said i think there's maybe some deleted scenes because it, it feels like burns's mm-hmm. character it's not just it's it's like there was two different interpretations of him that were being strewn throughout the film at the same time yeah and i think it's also important right before he gets into the vatican he's walking around rome and there's these uh italian prostitutes soliciting him on the corner which i don't feel like that's probably what's happening so 
brazenly. (laughs) And that like really clean touristy part of Rome near the Vatican. Maybe, I don't know. I've never been there, but it's just like, they're very trashy looking and they're like, they're like, Ooh. And he's like, what's up? And they're like, Hey, sucky sucky or whatever. And he's just like, shows them, shows them his priest collar. And they were like, we'll do you anyway with the Vatican discount. Cause like no woman can resist Gabriel Byrne in this movie. Right. No, it's like a thing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, no woman could probably resist Gabriel Byrne in any movie. He's, 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 really he's a handsome man. He's a good. He's a good-looking yeah. guy. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so then that whole like, yeah, the very the the uh, the office meeting with um, uh, Deputy Director Skinner and him being Mulder <laughs> happens, and then uh, and then we and then we cut back. I think to. There's maybe there's another follow up scene with him at the Vatican talking to his buddy. He's like, but maybe that happens later. I don't know. Um, he's talking to his bud. Oh, oh who maybe. hangs out in the library? Uh, yeah, who hangs out in the library? But maybe that happens later, and it doesn't really matter. He's just got a buddy who hangs out of the library who will come back later. This is not. Yeah, it's uh, very important at this time. Um, so then it's back to Frankie's at work. She goes into work in her hairdresser salon slash piercing slash tattoo slash nail. There's a lot going on in that studio. Um, (laughs) Like somebody's getting a tattoo in the corner. Um, Portia de Rossi's Mm -hmm. there with weird dreads and she's doing someone's nails. Uh, Someone else is getting like a like a third piercing in their ear. I mean, there's just it's like a hotbed for like alternate alternative lifestyles. And whatever else. It's just like, and it's in this moment I realized if I were going to tell my children or wanted to show them exactly what the 90s were like, it's it's going to be specifically the scene. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm more, I'm more broadly this entire movie. <laughs> I, I would say this movie would be a good contender to use as that teaching, teaching method. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it is so of its time. Like Frankie's got all these butterfly clips in her hair and her hair sticking out at all these <laughs> angles. And, and Nia Long, who's like her BFF, um, is also a hairdresser at this place. And she's um, got a terrible wig on. Just it's so bad. And at this point, I was like, would I let either of these women touch my hair? Yeah, <laughs> I, I take it. No. No, no, I don't think I would. Also, there's just too much going on at the salon. Like, I don't need to hear someone getting a tattoo while I'm trying to get, like, my hair washed and relaxed and my nails done. Mm -hmm. Like, that doesn't need to coexist in the same building. I'm certain that these places existed. Oh, totally. In the 90s. Um, Just your one-stop shop for your all your body care needs. Uh, Anyway, so... Um. Yeah. Oh. Well. Frankie wakes up the next morning after the credits. The first thing she does is actually she doesn't talk to her mom. She talks to her kind of situationship who she spent the night mm-hmm. with, but he was gone the next morning. Yeah. Um. So there's that. That thread gets completely abandoned. Yeah. To, uh, um. I I don't know that guy's name. He that's doesn't one matter. Thread, yep. Just throw him out. Yep. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Um. 
mom is out of the picture. BFF is there. They, you know, have work chit chat or whatever. Uh, then we get to see uh, Frankie relaxing after a long day at the salon. And she has lit um, enough candles to burn down her entire building in her bathroom. I didn't count how many, but they're just, I can't even, um, like, look. You know how long it would take to light all those candles? It seems like it's a chore, right? How many do you need to take a bath? I mean, I understand her bathroom is very large. But like <laughs> maybe, two, two, Maybe three? she's trying desperately to, to heat the room. <laughs> <laughs> I guess like there's like 36 candles in this yeah. bathroom. Yeah. It's um so she's she's taking a bath uh and then she uh by a force unseen she gets pulled under the water. And there's actually a really I think it's a really lovely shot of it's as if the bathtub has been sliced in half and it's a full side body shot of frankie in the water and you don't see any naughty bits but you just see her like really beautiful silhouette and this moment of peace uh she has before this basically getting yanked um under the water and thrashing around and um then you see the water and the water around the bathtub kind of start filling with blood um and then the next thing that happens is you see her and she's being rushed through the emergency room with her friend, um, whose name I don't even remember. I just know it's Mia Long's character. Um, yeah, you know, being and they're, yeah. they're rushing. What is her character's name? Oh, I I don't know. I I like the. I mean, I'm I've I've been reliant on you providing me with. I'm, at, Frankie I'm looking. At, I'm and, looking at the IMDb. Yeah, I'm looking at the IMDb and Mia Long, who's actually actually oh Donna, that's her name. I was like, where is she even in the IMDb? She's in this movie. It's not like she's an unknown actress. She's had a long right. career I, I, since this well, time. Well, I, I think it's like it's interesting because there's a lot of like there's like you mentioned, Portia de Rossi is in this film, and 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 Cusack mm-hmm. is apparently the emergency room yeah, doctor. She's the ER doctor. So they they appear much higher up on the IMDb than they would have when uh, when this film originally had its imdb entry in you know the late 90s right. yeah. exactly um yeah and cusack uh yeah she's the er doc and and basically she's like um so um they explain that frankie has these wounds these punctures that have gone through each of her wrists that barely missed an artery and they've gone all the way through and um, the ER doc, as she's stitching up, Frankie is trying to say, you know, Frankie, is there anything going on in your life? Like, are you doing okay? Do you have a significant other that's giving you trouble? And she's like, well, it's just that I'm not very significant. And then the ER doctor is like, oh, boy, boy, trouble. She tried to kill herself. And then and then Frankie catches on to this whole line of questioning. She's like, do you think I did this to myself? And the ER doc says, well, it seems, I mean, pretty obvious when we see wounds like this. That <laughs> because the ER, ER docs and- often see people who try to commit suicide by crucifying themselves. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this seems like if it's a suicide a- attempt, it's not, was n- not done with any seriousness, I guess. Well, I'm not, I'm, well no, I, w- I, w- uh, well, I would say it was... 
like this is the, 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 like it's the it's a 180 of that like who commits suicide by trying to ram iron bolts like through their entire yeah. wrist um yeah it went th- it went all the way yeah. through that's hard like that would be hardcore that's hard to do one hand and then the other you know <laughs> right well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I suppose. I mean, if you got the the iron will to do, you could at least do the one one wrist. But then, like to do the the other is, uh, yeah. I don't know. Uh, I, I I I I do I do think the doctor's right that like this is not just like an accident, but um, mm-hmm. uh, there's got to be some sort of explanation other than suicide on this one because this is just uh, like yeah. Anyway. So Frankie says, wait, you think I did this to myself? And then the doctor's like, yeah, it seems pretty obvious when we see ones like that. And Frankie's like, I would never try to kill myself. And she says, I love being me. Ask anybody. And I'm like, okay, does everybody know her in this town? <laughs> That's a weird thing to say. Well, but, yeah, it's just, um, it's but the yeah, small you, town of Pittsburgh, Crystal. Everyone like yeah. knows everyone. I, I guess so. And that's the weird thing, too. I, for the longest time, didn't put together until it gets explicitly mentioned later um, that Gabriel Byrne has to go to Pittsburgh. I thought they were, like, in Boston. I just, yeah, I just I, I just automatically assumed it was a major city on the East Coast. And, yeah, then, then it's just yeah. like, oh, it's Pittsburgh. It's like, well, at the very least, it's nice to yeah. see some, some other cities that maybe don't no- typically get used for a location get 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 some screen time because outside of george a romero i don't know anything that takes place in pittsburgh film wise so yeah and was it before or after she has the i think it's after her first hospital visit um so she goes back to work or something after that happens and or maybe this is before she gets the first wounds of the stigmata but there's something where she's like looking outside and there's a woman in a oh and also she has this whole conversation with her best friend about how her period is late or something and she has this conversation she has this vision of this woman in a blue uh hooded jacket because it's always raining in pittsburgh apparently Mm -hmm. just raining through this entire very wet movie yeah yeah just very everyone's very wet and she's like going to cut this girl's hair and she looks out the window of the shop and she sees across the street that there's a woman um in a blue hooded jacket and that she's holding this infant that's wrapped in this red cloth and this woman is staring across the street at frankie and frankie goes to the window and she sees this woman like drop the infant into traffic Mm -hmm. and and so Frankie runs outside and she's freaking out and cars are like swerving to stop her to stop from hitting her. And she runs over there and she's screaming about a baby. She's like, everyone stop. There's a baby in the road. And she can see the woman in the blue hood walking away. And she, there's like all the stuff Frankie is seeing. And then you see it from Neil Long's perspective after she follows Frankie out into the street that there's no woman there's no baby there's nothing there and so maybe it's like after this episode happens frankie gets the stigmata or it's just right after the things with her wrist happens i I don't remember what order i think it's just right after because she like when she comes into the studio it's like everyone's a little a little hushed yeah yeah um 
and then this happens and because uh, I, I had this distinct memory of like oh well now our co-workers are definitely going to be like oh yeah right yeah. yeah so um i think and then it's right after that incident she ends up back at the hospital where she's they run a gamut of tests on her there's a montage like they do a vision test they do like a ct scan they do a bunch of stuff just to see you know why she's seeing things why this why these wounds happened um and then the doctor comes in and you know remember there's a conversation frankie had about being late with her friend and she's been kind of off and on again with this guy there's some implications there but she comes in the do- she's talking to the doctor and no this is after because i remember she was laying on her side so whoop, rewind that yeah yeah rewind all of that because she actually gets the second ones of the stigmata before she ends up back in the hospital the whole train thing happens because I remember when she's in the hospital talking to the doctor, she's laying on her side because she can't lay on her back because of yes, the wounds. Yes, yes. Yeah. So anyway, so, the you know, that shit happens. Dina Long is like, like, girl, you got to go home. You got to rest. And so she's taking her home on the train. And then there's this whole situation where Frankie sees some nuns and a priest chatting. And she kind of zeroes in on the priest and she starts walking towards him as if like you know possessed by a force to go speak to him and she asked the priest you know are you andrew kiernan and the priest says no i'm not i'm father Durning. Durning. he comes back he comes back a couple of times in this movie and um and he's like can i help you with something and she's like no i'm t- i'm totally fucked and then she takes like this rosary from the nuts- nun's neck and throws it on the ground at this point like the train derails or something yeah and everyone's getting tossed around like very scary like this subway is going you know off the rails <laughs> quite <And> literally <laughs> during yeah. this <laughs> yeah like during this time though we see it from from father uh Durning's perspective is in order to hold on, uh, you know, Frankie grabs, you know, uh, one of these grabber things on each side of the subway car and he sees her receive the like second ones of the stigmata, which are the lashes on her back. So she's reacting as if she's being whipped by an unseen force. Yeah. And he sees the whole he sees the whole thing. And he remembers it. And then eventually the train stops and they let everyone off or whatever. And then that's where they take her back to the hospital and they run all the tests. And um, basically the conclusion that the uh, doctor comes to, he's like, look, I think you just might have seizures. (laughs) And that's what's going on here. And Kay (laughs) really doesn't explain um, the wounds on her body. It might explain her like, losing control or not remembering something or blacking out but it really doesn't explain the wounds very well because after they run all these tests they're they're like you're perfectly healthy there's nothing wrong with you can we put some electrodes in your brain and she's like um no i'm cool off that please don't and (laughs) and um and then right before the doctor leaves she says did you do a pregnancy test and the doctor says yes and she says am i pregnant he says no and she says, well, was I? And the doctor says, I don't know. 
And then we never we never pick up that thread again in this a, entire another, movie. Another un yeah, because just abandoned. Yeah, it's like I guess they were gonna go with something there um, at some point. Yeah, they did the whole extended vision with the woman dropping the child and her having to protect the child and like her panicking and maybe maybe they fi- and then maybe they just they figured they just yeah forget maybe about they it. figured because. Uh, after I watched this film, I couldn't resist myself. I I went online and I read the Roger mm-hmm. Ebert review that uh, of it that came out at the time. Yeah. Oh. Um, okay. Uh, two stars, and I guess like it must have been a marginal thumbs up on his um, uh, on his television program. But uh, what <laughs> reading his review. I guess I learned something about Roger Ebert, which is my inference is he must have gone to a Catholic school when he was a, a student. Okay. Because he seemed very familiar with um, theological stuff. And I think, like, mm-hmm. his review, unfortunately, um, you know, so, sometimes when you get someone who's really into the subject matter of a film, that kind of becomes the focal mm-hmm. point of their, like, criticism of it and it's like well okay i mean and that's valid to point out that like this isn't historically accurate or whatever but th- is it a good film and they're they're not able to like separate the two and i feel like ebert was like that the problem with this film is that uh, here are the things it gets wrong and it, he lists off some stuff and uh like the one thing he was talking about was like stigmata he's like stigmata and possession are, are different um phenomenon and so mm-hmm. um and, and he said that like for him sort of the confused the confused theme of this film uh or, or you know like the uh, the sentiment or, or the or the, just the plot or whatever that 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 he felt was like there's sort of like dull strands that weren't didn't seem to like properly get woven together was that it was just mm-hmm. like because the uh, stigmata is something that the you know people who are very devoutly religious feel, and it's in many cases something they kind of actually kind of relish, right? I mean, maybe not. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's it, it it signifies a connection, a close close a cl- being even closer to the the miraculous. Whereas possession is a horrifying thing, and he like like he's like this this movie seems to put forward the 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 proposition that like like being possessed by Jesus would be as terrifying as being <laughs> possessed by the devil. Um, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, and I think maybe 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 there there was something like some sort of thing going to involve a baby that that was going to be part of this. And then, like, at some point, someone's like, you know what? We're, we're already conflating stigmata and possession. If we throw immaculate conception in here, it, like, this movie is going to be so incomprehensible <laughs> as to what we're trying to say. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it really, it just abandons a lot of threads. So the first one that it abandons is the is the uh you know did she have a miscarriage or not was she ever pregnant it just doesn't ever come up yeah, again t- t- typically um, like when you're writing a movie you, like and you find that there's 
plot, plot threads you don't you don't think that actually work you you may want to excise those out before you actually begin shooting the film <laughs> right but it makes me think that there were probably maybe some scenes or dialogue that mm-hmm. got cut oh totally did re- did return to that at some point but yeah just that they kind of wander off from that they they do muddle up the stigmata and possession at the same time um so uh yeah i mean i don't want to spend too much more time i think running through the plot but this is basically the exposition and the setup is you basically have someone who isn't uh, doesn't have faith um experiencing something that only people of extreme faith have Mm -hmm. experienced and i guess the implication is it's because she got the priest rosary sent to her yeah i guess i guess uh uh, you know uh, that that was one of Roger Ebert's other things. Like stigmata, it, it's brought mm-hmm. on by people who have like extreme, like because they are they're already extremely feeling extreme faith. But apparently, uh, this mm-hmm. film seems to suggest that it it can be spread like a bacterium or virus. <laughs> right. Yeah. Or it's tra- it has transferable properties through like right. A and he actually brought up the he actually brought up Padre Pio, and he's like. I mean, if this was the mm-hmm. case, like people could have been like taking wrapping, you know, cut cut pieces of wrappings from his hands and people could be like giving themselves stigmatas <laughs> to their heart's content. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. So I don't know. It's it, it, this it, the plot's kind of a mess. So don't the answer. Yeah. Is yeah, don't d- worry about yeah it. You have to put all that. Uh, what, what all this, you know, is supposed to mean and stuff aside, because really the 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 highlight of the film is the the interaction between um uh, burns mm-hmm. and uh, our cat like those scenes with them together are yeah. are the most interesting for me so as um patricia arquette's character frankie's leaving with um Neil Long to go back home after this latest hospital visit she finds that uh father durning is waiting for her in the waiting room because he had seen witnessed the whole thing and um he asked he asked her you know if she was okay and if she ever wanted to talk about what had happened he would be available and he hands her his card um and then she's like cool thanks weirdo okay <laughs> <laughs> bye and meanwhile um father Durning uh gets on the vatican tip mm-hmm. line yeah i guess and he's, he says, hey, I saw some r- real weird stuff on the subway. And so the Vatican is able to get a hold of the security footage from the train car that Frankie had been on. And you can you can see, like, she's reacting to something that isn't mm-hmm. there and kind of getting tossed around. A little. I mean, there's a lot of chaos around her with the train car. But, um, you know, she's definitely you can see the the whip cutting her shirt and the blood and. So uh, the Vatican t- tells uh, Father Andrew, "You gotta, you gotta get on a next plane to Pennsylvania. Go check this out." Um, so he does, and he wanders into Frankie's salon and asks for a haircut. And like um, every woman in the place is like mm. blushing and and sweating as soon as he walks in the door. Totally normal response, yeah. and they soon realize when he takes off his coat that he's a priest. And then everyone's like, Oh, <laughs> Oh, uh, and 
and so he sits down in Frankie's chair and and he introduces himself and she goes, oh, well, I think I've been waiting for you because she had asked by him by name when she talked to Father Durning mm-hmm. on the train. Um, so on and so forth, their little relationship starts. Frankie gets a number of a number more of the uh, stigmatic wounds yeah. start appearing on her. Um, the, there's one scene where she's running, uh, out into the wet streets. It's always raining. She's (laughs) running into traffic in the streets a lot in this film. Yeah. She's, she's running and it's wet and there's cars swerving and cars hitting each other. And, um, her friend is chasing her. And then (laughs) there was a lot of doves. There's a lot of doves flying around. Um, there's a lot of crazy camera angles. There's a lot of things with water dripping up instead of down. There's a lot of this kind of shit. And <laughs> at one point my husband said, was this movie directed by John Boo? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no, but it looks yeah. like it. Um, and they find Frankie like carving. She has a broken bottle. She's carving something in a foreign language and muttering to herself, um while she's doing that and uh uh father gabriel (laughs) father andrew father gabriel father andrew gabriel uh gets out his little recorder again and tries to record some of the audio of what she's saying um and then and then neil long's character is there as well and they help carry her back to the loft we never see uh, neil long again not one time in this movie after that scene she has been a very supportive friend and she disappears for the back half of this movie. She's gone. Um, so there's that thread abandoned. Um, what else? Yeah. So what father Gabriel, we'll just call him father yeah. Gabriel. Yeah. <laughs> what his character's name is. He, he calls his buddy back at the Vatican library and plays this audio. And um, the message is, in spoken Aramaic and that's the language of Jesus. And what it says, it's something like split a piece of wood. You will find me lift a stone and I am there. And that's what it translates to in Aramaic. Can you tell I've seen this movie a few times that I had that memorized and yeah. And it kind of goes from there. And so this, so she's like, she's sort of, uh, it kind of heightens to a whole scene where she has painted an entire wall in her loft um with with the with this language with aramaic and um father gabriel shows up at her loft to check on her while this is going on and he's he takes a bunch of pictures and when she turns around i guess this is as close to as scary as this movie gets when she turns around like she her she's like ghost white and her eyes are like ice blue and um she says uh he he asks her who she is because frankie isn't frankie isn't home anymore frankie ain't there and it's a man's voice that responds in italian and says the messenger is not important yes who are you il messaggero no è importante and then that's when she shuffles <laughs> by as an old man would to go have a yeah. nap and then and then she wakes up and she's Frankie again. Um 
And then there's like they go on a date or something. Uh, I don't know they, what's going yeah, on. They go but... out for coffee and they're at a flower shop. Yeah, and, yeah. She's buying flowers, and at this point, she has gotten the the wounds on her head, the wounds on her back, the wounds at her wrists. And while they're having a very nice chat and doing, we get to a little know a little bit more about Father Gabriel's background, which, interestingly. <laughs> I'm going to give you a little info on Gabriel Byrne here and how he keeps getting typecast as these types of figures. Um, he was, in fact, in seminary training to be a Catholic priest before he was. No way. I'm not lying to you. Uh, uh, he spent five years in the seminary and then he he realized he didn't believe in God. Oh, wow. <laughs> he put a lot of investment in, in there. Jeez. That's. Yeah. Then he then he went on to study archaeology and linguistics and played football and then he became an actor at some point. So, um, but yeah, he was five years in the seminary. He was studying to become how I how ironic so, then that yeah like he he's appeared in so many films involving uh, God or the devil like because after after this yeah. film was released, do you know what got released just a couple months later? Yes, <laughs> I do. But you can tell him, Robbie. End of days. I <laughs> see. Now you're upsetting me. You don't want to see me upset. Believe me. Oh, you want to fuck with me? You think you know bad, huh? You're a fucking choir boy compared to me. A choir boy! Because it came up. Yeah, end of days, same year. And instead of playing a priest, he plays the actual yes. devil in that movie. And then uh, in Hereditary, yeah. he plays the father of kids that are possessed by the devil or something similar and did you end up seeing hereditary i i did like let's put a pin in that because i want to bring that up okay. later okay yeah well because because there were some similarities towards the end of the movie where i was like oh uh, shit like that's yeah kinda, yeah looks like hereditary kind of ripped some of that in uh, oh, imagery I, I, from Stigmata, i won't go but, i won't go deeper in hereditary right now then but and then of course you know, he was one of the suspects of being Kaiser Sose, who, in a way, might be interpreted right. as the de <laughs> devil. Yes. So, anyway, yeah. Yes. Um. So, yeah, I'm glad you brought up End of Days, because that came up when we were, like, after we were done watching Stigmata, it was, like, similar movies, End of Days, but Gabriel Burns the Devil in this mm -hmm. one. Weird. Same year. Okay, so, um, so yeah, so like they go on a date and she gets like the feet wounds or whatever, and then she's then she's like, and how many wounds did you say people get? And he's like, well, there was technically five wounds of the stigmata, and she's like, how many has anyone ever gotten? And he's like, um, <laughs> and she's like, she's like, cool. So what's the last one? And he's like, oh, it's like a spear in your side, like how that's how Jesus actually died. And then she's like, um, so am I dying? And, and then he's like, uh, and anyway, um, at this point, um, he has faxed or emailed the pictures back to his homie at the Vatican. Mm -hmm. And there, uh, I had a lot of fun thinking about emailing the Vatican at this point in the nineties. <laughs> pope at vatican.com is it vatican.com is it is it uh vatican.it is it vatican.org 
because like back in 1999, I'm it was like the president of the United States and the Vatican were probably the only people that had email addresses. Right, right. Well, and see, <laughs> Vatican City is a, a sovereign uh, entity, so I guess they would have their own, yeah, yeah a two-letter uh, thing denoting. Yeah. yeah, is it is it librarian.vat? <laughs> what is yes. it? If, if, if you're a listener uh, and you're, you work at the Vatican... Which would be weird, but uh, uh, shoot us an email from your Vatican email address, please. Yeah, yeah I'd love to see. I'd love to see yeah. your domain. I'd love to see it. Um, so Gabriel Byrne has go gone to the public library and scanned some photos and now sent them to his buddy at the Vatican. And and the story basically is like, hey, um, you shouldn't have sent me this. And basically, what has happened is there were these gospel the gospel verifiers the gospel the, what is it the gospel panel I, I, Jonathan Price is like the head of some secret investigation unit of the gospels of mm -hmm. Jesus and there are certain sensitive documents which are sent to not in entirety but split up and sent to different um dominions <laughs> the franciscans the oh. libertarians the dominicans the jamaicans yeah. i don't know i don't know what they all are but there's like three of them and so a portion of this document has been sent and one of the portions of the document was sent to the priest in Belquinto for transcription and verification so he got some portion of that document and so the implication is what Frankie has written in what we then learn is Aramaic on the wall in her apartment is some portion of this document mm -hmm. that is like super, super top secret in the Vatican. So there's no way she could have seen it. There's no way she could have understood what it was. And this goes back to, okay, so now she has the rosary from the priest who died, who Gabriel Byrne was investigating his church in the beginning. Um, the voice is him saying in Italian, the messenger is not important. So it's about the message that he is has to convey to the world, but he died before he got the chance to, uh, about whatever. We don't know what the message is yet. We don't know. That hasn't been made clear. But... Um, so yeah, so that happens, and then at some point, Jonathan Price and the guy from Just Shoot Me show up in Pittsburgh, because they decide uh, Father Gabriel doesn't have a handle on any of this anymore, and they basically kidnap, um, well, at some point, Frankie, possessed by the devil, or Jesus, or the father from Brazil, um, starts like hitting on father gabriel pretty yeah hard. like earlier they had talked about there, there'd been a, a hint dropped um you know like being open to be uh be uh, being recept receiving stuff from one side also means that you could be receiving stuff from the other so uh mm -hmm. back I, I maybe I, at this point I was still under the impression this was ostensibly a horror movie, even though uh, I mm -hmm. probably shouldn't have. And I was like, "Oh, is this going to be like uh, uh, a demon or something?" And she, she's trying to entice him with alcohol, and mm -hmm. 
and like you know like seduce him but then i after the movie was over and reflecting on it maybe it was just like you know she she's out of bed she's probably feeling better than she has in a long uh, in the several days now and she's just like f it mm-hmm. i want to move on with my life let's paint over <laughs> the, these weird marks that mm-hmm. are now uh on mm-hmm. my wall and i just want to you know i just want i just want to let loose i haven't been able to go to the clubs uh this you know this mm-hmm. hot guy is you know that's been hanging around for a few days i really you know um, and I actually, I, 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 when, when Father Gabriel helps get her into bed and it's just sort of like doing that sort of thing that it's quasi, it's partially laying down, but it's also partially sitting. And I really mm-hmm. feel that somewhere on YouTube, there has to be some sort of edit someone's done where they've played that scene, but the uh, montage of that scene, but with like the music, the, the, the song from Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, <laughs> <laughs> everything i do i do for yeah yeah um there is an undeniable sort of chemistry between the two of these people and i think this is the this is like you said the only thing that keeps this movie from being mm-hmm. bad okay yeah uh because they're because they're very electric yes the two of them together there's the chemistry is definitely there so um yeah they smooch a little bit but then he's like no i i have to protect my treasure we can't do that that thing and also there's something very wrong with you and then there was something very wrong with her but yeah then he puts her to bed and at this point yeah the the vatican um cock blockers bust through the door and yeah ostensibly kidnap frankie and take her to the archdiocese residence near pittsburgh um which is a is probably the least leaky building we've seen yeah, so far. Yeah, it's that's that that's a solid structure there. In this movie? Yeah, nice nice place they got there. Um and he the cardinal comes in with his helper, Elliot from Just Shoot Me. And says, hey, we're going to get this demon out of her because that's what's going on. And Father Gabriel's like, what are you talking about? She's not possessed by a demon. That's not that's not what this is. And uh, they sort of shoo him out of the room under his protestations. And he goes somewhere. I don't know. But then he comes back because he's like driving through rain yeah. again. And he comes back when he realizes that she's probably in a lot quite a lot of danger because of i think maybe this is when he has the call oh his, his, his friend is like man, yeah it tells yeah. him catches him up this on is all like the really dangerous yeah. shit yeah and uh yeah and somehow elliot from just shoot me has gotten the email that father gabriel had sent the vatican because he has all these printouts of what had been written on the the wall anyway so they just decide to have an exorcism of her um, which basically just involves Jonathan Price's character choking the shit out of her, yeah, and and trying to kill her. He's like, "You're not gonna make us irrelevant with your stuff, lady." And Father Gabriel bursts in, and um, he, I mean, uh, he Gabriel he, uh, burns. He yeah, kicks Gabriel burns. I mean, there's a reason why we've, we've seen him in some action stuff. I mean, and he is physically kind of mm. an imposing guy. Like, I mean, he 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 knocks uh, and and, re, and uh, um, 
Elliot from Just Shoot Me. Like, I mean, he he blows past him as if he was David Spade from Just Shoot Me. Exactly. Like, like, um, <laughs> David Spade is a small guy. So, who can yeah. Be pushed aside is the joke. Yeah. Yes. Um, and then he like tosses Jonathan Price around the hallway, being like, "Get your hands off of her! You're 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 out! You're out of line! You're out of here! You're out of the church! I'm telling people what you did! You tried to kill this woman!" And at this point, Father Gabriel goes back into the room, which is now caught on fire, and this is important for s- reasons of foreshadowing other times where Gabriel burns gonna catch on fire in other movies and and he he basically tells he understands what has happened is that frankie's been possessed by the spirit of this uh priest from brazil that had had part of this document also the the guy uh who plays all the imposing um eastern european characters in every movie from the 90s and early 2000s including taken is in this as another priest that uh father gabriel meets up with at some point so father gabriel kind of realizes the conspiracy that's been going on here to keep this information from getting out um and basically at this point we learn from this eastern european priest who had also received some of these documents i believe that the true writing of jesus his true words so the gospel of saint thomas which the church is trying to hide was that basically you don't need a church and you don't need a priest to have a relationship with god and it basically like cancels the entire structure of the church through jesus's own words um so that's why there there's an urgency of trying to silence the messenger um by killing her, I guess. I don't know. But so anyway, uh, Gabriel, Gabriel Byrne bursts in the room and some in flames and he tells the priest from Brazil, you, you can rest now. I will make sure that your message is heard, but you need to leave this woman's body. Um, and so then he carries Patricia Arquette out of the flaming room and then they go out in the garden and they're sitting, she's kind of in his lap, kind of sort of, collapsed and um they're right by a statue of saint francis of assisi which is like okay i get it yeah he had the stigmatic too cool (laughs) and then she's like then she's like feeding a dove and it's like okay okay great like we get we get the parable here (laughs) and it lingers on that for a few more minutes and yeah yeah and then they like have a little smooch and then that's kind of the end of the movie yeah there's That's like it. a there's like a brief little uh thing of him going back to the church and opening up uh getting the thing from underneath the floor and it has a scroll in it and and yeah get- yeah he goes back to Bella Quinto but if you notice yeah the, actually this is the last scene is he goes back to Bella Quinto and he's not dressed in his priest costume anymore yeah if you notice oh, he's in yeah, his street I clothes I, I guess I really hadn't registered that um. But yeah, that's interesting. And then we get that the I really feel like if this film had been made 20 years later, this scene would have been after the credits. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, they were nice enough to not make us sit through the credits before um before we get it. 
but uh yeah then it's just like well in 1945 the scroll was discovered written in aramaic it's believed to be the uh, the true words of jesus christ it's called the gospel of saint thomas and the catholic church has uh decreed it as heresy and doesn't think that it's important and basically it says the same thing that there's there's no need to have the church or priests so you can just have a personal relationship with god but i can also feel like that's the entire rest of crea- uh, christianity except for Catholic yeah i was gonna say that it's th- kind this, of this film yeah uh, like it was, it was interesting because ebert was um uh he mentioned uh like in his review that there'd been outrage amongst some of the catholic community at this film which i actually do not remember mm-hmm. in the slightest Normally, I I really right. paid attention to like outrage about films back then, um, but I guess mm-hmm. I guess because like maybe it, it, this does kind of feel like there's a hidden Protestant theme inside this this uh, mm-hmm. sort of more or ornamentally you know superficially Catholic looking film. Ah, yeah, I I I get it. I see. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I don't think if you're outside of Catholicism, though, this movie isn't saying anything that you already don't kind of know. Yeah. Which is like, yeah, no, no shit. I know I can have a personal relationship with Jesus. I don't need the church for that. That's at least that's the tradition that I was raised in. And the, like you went to church to have community and for guidance, but it wasn't uh, it was not your only way to connect with the divine like that could be done anytime and it so, sounds you know split it it sounds like if we if we allow this yeah. conversation to continue crystal we're going to end up having some sort of situation where you're representing the protestants and i'm representing the catholics well, <laughs> well which, which would be I, an I interesting I'm, patreon exclusive episode we could do <laughs> certainly um but i i guess yeah i just feel like this this where this movie was trying to go or whatever it was trying to say was pretty muddy and it kind of opted for style over substance almost at every oh yeah time. yeah totally which is oh which, which, which is, is okay. no that's fine it's, it's, it's fine meant to, to be do a that. movie uh, not a, a a tract hmm hmm yeah yeah um it certainly wasn't scary and it's not a horror movie by any means um it is but it's really slick looking it is very of its time and it, it's kind of, it this is yeah not, yeah it did not feel it felt very dated when i was oh, watching yeah, it I mean, but uh but it, it did have a like i thought and, and i've already mentioned this a few times but i think it's not like it's not a scary movie uh one one might mm-hmm. even go so far as to say it's not necessarily a good movie but it has a really good like a good um um uh line of uh, plot line involving the the gabriel burns and, and arquette's characters i really feel like uh mm-hmm. like it's it's a good movie about standing uh, like trying to help someone and be being there uh, se- yeah. selflessly so yeah yeah yeah, but also like I kind of feel like that was Nia Long's character, and then she just well they they have they have to the put her on the bus movie. and get her out of the film because uh, if she keeps hanging around, yeah. it's going to d- distract from Gabriel Burns. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, did you 
so this is your first time viewing it. Where, I mean, did you enjoy yeah, it? Yeah, I did. I did. Uh, I mean, if anything, because it is a neat capsule of the 90s and uh, like what a, maybe a movie mm-hmm. from the 90s would be like. I mean, yes, it's it, the movie is muddy and confused. Like, wasn't there like some scene where someone um, uh, reported to the Cardinal or, or there was some meeting with the Cardinal and that church that where uh, the scrolls uh, the scroll was buried and and you know had the bleeding statue that someone said like there's no record of that mm. church it doesn't actually it's not and yeah and I was like okay so that would have been obviously a plot line if they had done anything with it i mean you could have gone one of two routes if you're if you're trying to make some sort of da vinci code style um uh, uh, Da Vinci Code style film, you could be like, oh, you know, the people who had the 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 the, the scr- sacred scrolls or whatever, you know, they uh, they they took them to the new world and they buried them there, and uh, the the and they built this church as a way to keep it, I don't know what, hidden or whatever. Or if 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 you're mm-hmm. making this a horror film. And, you know, it turns out this was like, uh, uh, you know, like an evil malevolent presence that was doing this to our cat. You could like the thing is, is having all those people. There's this whole town that like gathers that at that church that worships at that church. And it would have been uh, kind of like a nasty little uh, a twist is like it's actually an evil church. Right. It's 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 actually a Satan, like mm-hmm. a hub of Satanism or something. Maybe the whole t- villages are actually satanists or, or whatever or what, you know however you want to play it um yeah no but i the thing is is yeah it's it's um the the for me like it's being able to enjoy a film it's less about whether it's necessarily good or bad is it interesting and this was interesting the worst the worst thing anything can be is boring that's that's the yeah right that's the real red line so I'm glad I'm glad I watched it and I'm glad glad you suggested it. I'm glad I was thinking, well, as I was I finished the movie watching the movie with Dave last or Friday night. So a couple nights ago, um, I kind of was thinking about how this isn't even this is not even my favorite movie from 1999 starring an Arquette that we've reviewed for this podcast um (laughs) it doesn't even rise to that it's not even my favorite from that very specific set of criteria Mm -hmm. um but the other the other movie being of course Ravenous which we reviewed a couple years ago that has David Arquette and it's also 1999 yeah so it's not even my very it's not even my favorite Arquette 1999 movie that we've reviewed for the pod like that's it's not even doesn't rise to that i don't you know now that i'm a little bit older i think i need a little more meat on the bone even from a horror movie to just kind of like a horror movie either needs to be scarier it needs to be funnier it needs to be both and this is neither of those things it is a nice little drama though but it kind of i'm I'm shocked how much money it made (laughs) yeah i i you know i i because it's not very good i would have assumed that like this film just kind of I, I I didn't think it would have been a bomb, but I, I, I just kind of in the years since its release, because I, ne- I didn't look up the um, 
the box office on it. I just, in my mind, I was just like, oh, you know, it probably made like a marginal profit, right? I mean, it paid for its budget and it made the studio some, a little bit of money that they could, you know, and just put in the bank, but it wasn't, um, but yeah, no, it tripled its money. That's, that's, that's good in the nineties. So. Yeah. And I'm look, this was uh, ravenous was released. I'm trying to find the release date of this. It was released um, same year. I'm wondering how close it was to... Oh, it was released earlier in the year, so Stigmata came mm-hmm. after. Um, it was... it Worldwide, it grossed $2 million some dollars. And the budget was $12 million. So this was an absolute bomb. Right, right ravenous whereas stigmata was a like blockbuster it does fit and i and i doubt if you asked anyone who was like alive at the time watching movies if they remember the movie stigmata they might be like oh yeah gabriel Byrne or something right and i feel like in the time since like it especially among like horror movie genre aficionados if you ask them about the movie Ravenous, I think they would be oh yeah, that uh, so excited yeah, to talk like, about it versus Stigmata, which I like had seen many times, but kind of kind of like didn't. I don't know. No one remembers this movie. Obviously, it made a lot of money. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's the thing though. Like, uh, I bet if we looked at a, a list of box office performance in, in 1999. And we, we would see plenty of movies that made money and like we would have difficulty really kind of <laughs> placing it. It's like, oh, yeah, I think that one had uh, Diane Keaton in it. And, uh, you know, it, it, a lot of it would be vague. Whereas, yeah, no, you're right. Like you, I'm sh- a lot of people would be like thrilled to talk about Ravenous today because it feels like just like a, a, a special gem that, you know uh that 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 they remember. yeah i mean i think it's kind of like the, i think it's kind of like the movie idiocracy where it's just kind of picked up steam <laughs> as a cultural touch point since it came well out. yeah well idiocracy and... what helps that is that the movie becomes more uh relevant with each passing year anyway <laughs> <laughs> yeah or like or another um mike judge movie uh office space like didn't make any money when it oh right out. yeah like every Everyone has that movie memorized now. Mm-hmm. So uh, Big Lebowski is another example, <laughs> like didn't make any money when it first came out. So I really don't think box office is really an indicator of staying power. Yeah, it, it's more. Pro- yeah, a lot of it has probably more to do with like um, advertising budget uh, when the movie mm-hmm. was released uh, in the calendar year, you know, strategically like was. Was it a slack sort of, you know, month and there wasn't much competition? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to talk about the soundtrack for a second here, since it was kind of like broadly advertised that Billy Corgan was um, part of it. When we watched the credits, though, it kind of just seemed like Billy Corgan's involvement was making the playlist. He was the music supervisor. <laughs> yeah, that seems to be more akin he to... He didn't seem to actually... Yeah, he wasn't He wasn't credited for composing anything except for the uh, song during the closing credits yeah. that was performed by Natalie Imbruglia. Um, 
But yeah, there's only a couple of songs actually on here that weren't orchestrated. And I don't believe Billy Corgan, from what I read in the credits, had anything to do with the orchestration. So we have a Chumbawamba song. We have Remy Zero. We have Bjork. Mm -hmm. We have a David Bowie song. We have Afro Celt sound system. I'm not familiar with them. We have a Massive Attack song. And then finally, the Billy Corgan written closing credit song by Natalie Imbruglia. But it honestly, for as much as it was advertised that he was sort of the composer, he wasn't. If you read the credits, he did not compose anything except that Natalie Imbruglia song. Yes, yes, it he kind of just put a playlist together of seven songs for this movie, which in and of itself is not very impressive. Right. So, I mean, I, I feel like part, maybe partially, you know, this is just another, this is like a box office trick, right? They, they put in the, you know, they put it yeah. out there like Billy Corgan's doing the music. So if you're, if you're missing, you know, that smashing pumpkins, you better, you know, here's, here's a way to get some of your fix. Um, it, you know, it's it's kind of akin to the when you go to a red box now and you know there's countless movies that would have like Bruce Willis's face on the cover. <laughs> it was like, oh, yeah. he's in it for about five minutes. Um, yeah, so it's uh, yeah, yeah, it's uh, not. I, and that was actually kind of maybe the most palpable disappointment I had was I was really looking forward to like something that felt like Billy Corgan was behind it. And I was like, I didn't really get that sense. At yeah. All, so. Yeah. And I was, I recently just had watched the social network for the first time. And that has a, a score that's done by um, Trent Reznor and Atticus Finch. And they use a little bit of popular music from the early 2000s in the background of that movie. But it is it is completely clear where Trent Reznor's hand is in that score. It's identifiable. Like you can say, yeah, okay, that's his style of music. I can hear, you know, I can hear indentations of Nine Inch Nails in there. I can hear his style. Yeah in that score this is just and because i mean even i'm reading the uh amazon.com description and they're giving the orchestration scoring credits to billy corgan but if you look at the credits in the movie he was the music supervisor he wrote one song but every other piece of music was composed by someone else so that's just not accurate he really didn't have his hands in this and who knows what it would have sounded like if he had Mm -hmm. right what if we had really gotten the billy corgan score here I think it would have been a lot crunchier than what it's uh, instead of this sort of piano kind of traditional semi religious music that it ends up becoming. I think that actually might have been a really great add to this movie (laughs) versus what we got. What's really kind of spooky is I was listening to the social network soundtrack at work <laughs> last night. Oh, you yeah. were. It's really good ambient it music. It, it, it's great to have on when yeah. I'm just I'm trying to get work to, I'm trying to like get catch up on some work. And you know, it's 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 not distracting, but it, it puts you in a mood. So yeah. <laughs> uh yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I'd only seen the movie for the first time uh, maybe last week or something. And oh, we'll have um, to save that for our social yeah, network episode. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, yeah, it came, it came up because I, I listened to this other podcast, um, called Blank Check, which I highly recommend to anyone who likes to geek out about movies, um, with, in, in the way people discuss movies, actually not sort of a dry review, but, uh, yeah, they're doing, they do series on different directors that have a blank check to make whatever they want in Hollywood. And so this recent, um, anthology they're doing is on david fincher so i was listening to their episode about the social network and i was like i've never seen this movie maybe i should see it and i know my husband's mentioned it quite a few times anyway that's a better movie than stigmata and (laughs) and it's ostensibly much creepier yeah actually there there is a a certain aspect i would say it is because yeah, we should have. Well, I didn't. Anyway, I don't want to cover territory that was already covered by Blank Check. But if you really want a good existential scare this Halloween, go watch The Social Network <laughs> because it's very disturbing. Yeah. And um, you realize that the reality that you are, that has been constructed around you by Facebook and now what is called Meta, is run and founded on someone being an absolute sociopath. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's creepy because that's real yeah. life. Yeah. That your political opinions, what you're shown on the Internet, all of that is being influenced by a company that is not your friend. In fact, a company that was uh, started because a, a bitchy little dude got dumped and he lashed out. And that's what Facebook became. And then he betrayed all of his friends mm-hmm. to pursue that goal. Yeah. So. Anyway, um, that's been Stigmata and fuck Mark Zuckerberg. And, <laughs> you know, what, what would have been a great ending moment for Stigmata is uh, like, you know, the go outside and Kevin Spacey is uh, walking along and he's got like rack bandages mm. that are bloody and he starts unfurling them. And what do you know? They're not bloody at all. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa! Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, that was Stigmata. Uh, Thank you for joining us for Halloween. Tune in for our next actual unsolved mysteries episode. Uh, Yeah, we'll we'll get back on format next time. But thanks for sticking with us, guys. Bye. (laughs) Okay. Bye. (laughs) 